Hi, ladies. Thank you for being leaders in your Bible study groups. Get your green highlighter and green pen so that you can underline some important statements and make notes to help you lead ladies in a meaningful discussion of God's Word. Let's delight in studying and sharing the precious words of the Lord to us. This is the Leader's Guide for Ezekiel, that you may know the Lord. We, I will be discussing Unit 9, Lessons 3 and 4, starting on page 185. Unit 9 is entitled, A Change for the Better. And it's not something just a little bit better, is it? We saw in um, Ezekiel 36, 11, God is going to do more good to Israel than ever before. So, truly, the best is yet to come. So we have, um, we're beginning to get some exciting things. Under the name of the Lord there, Yahweh, let's look at Ezekiel 34, which is about shepherds and sheep. So maybe you remember little Bo Peep. Turn the page, 186. The shepherds, they were that we read about were the previous political rulers in Israel, and they were as irresponsible as little Bo Peep who lost her sheep. All right, we are going to the bottom of page 188. We don't need the, the highlighting was a reading and a processing, and then we have questions that are going to review, hopefully, things that we learned or <laughs> saw. Just call on someone to, I mean, glance and see if it looks like they've got their homework filled in. This is the first thing and it's fill in the blank so it shouldn't be too hard. Um, so just to get the group started, call on someone to read the fill in the blanks at the bottom of 188. My sheep wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill. Yes, my flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth and no one was seeking or searching for them. At the top of page 189, we reviewed the message from the Lord in Ezekiel 6. How did the sheep wander? And what happened when they wandered? The sheep wandered away from the Lord. They wandered to worshiping idols. They wandered on every mountain and high hill. And um, what happened when they wandered? They brought consequences of judgment on themselves. They were exiled and scattered. So that second question was not something that you would have read, I guess. I mean, well, Ezekiel 6, God was telling Israel, judgment's coming because of what you've done. We looked up the word wandered. What is the Hebrew word? Shagah. And this is a verb. The Hebrew definition is to stray to mistake, to transgress, to reel, be enraptured. I've sinned through ignorance, which um, this um, reeling and being enraptured, I also have to swerve and be intoxicated. And you can get the idea. That's, I guess that's how it could be a sin through ignorance because you're, uh, you're stumbling and you're not aware of what you're doing. So, um, the sheep who don't know what they're doing and just not thinking about anything are wandering around. Oh, I wasn't paying attention. Search is the Hebrew word darash, 
and it means to seek with care, to inquire. Um, yeah. So um, what we see going on here is that the leaders themselves wandered from the Lord. And because the leaders wandered, their people followed them. The sheep wandered because the leaders were wandering. So that's the situation. Then we come to Ezekiel 34, 11. It's the turning point of the chapter. The Lord sums up everything with just a few words. What is his key statement? He says, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. And this is really, I mean, this is, it is exciting. And it's also a um, I, I don't, loud statement. Um, in the Hebrew, it uses the word hineni, which means behold. So I don't know if every translation has that in there, but it's in the Hebrew. And he also uses the pronoun I, which is not necessary because that pronoun is kind of built into the normal verb. So he says, behold, I, in Hebrew, hineni, ani. It sounds pretty cool, and I can see where it, that's why I'm saying it's loud and exciting. I'm going to do it. Um, in the next question, this is what the Lord wanted from the beginning, but the people want, did not want him. He, want, he was their shepherd. He knew it, but the people rejected him. What did the elders of Israel say in 1 Samuel 8, 4 through 7? And what did the Lord say? The elders said to Samuel, make us a king to judge us like all the other nations. Give us a king. And the Lord said, Samuel, they haven't rejected you. They've rejected me, their Lord, their shepherd, their king. They don't want me to reign over them. So we're just looking at the situation. The Lord had been rejected. And then you were asked a question at the bottom of page 189, this is in response to what was going on with Samuel and Israel. Have you experienced a time when the Lord gave you what you asked for and you realized it wasn't what was best for you? That's what Israel should have realized now. Um, and they haven't realized it yet. They didn't realize it when Jesus came to them. But you could ask that and see if anyone wants to comment. Does this prompt any discussion? It may not. So you don't have to make something happen. You can decide if you want to ask, ask that question or not. It's just looking at the situation. And then we'll turn the page to 190. I have this written before my question. When the Lord shepherds his people and regathers them, dot, 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 when the Lord shepherds his people and regathers them, dot, 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 according to Ezekiel 34, 12 and 13, from where specifically will the Lord gather his people? And there are three phrases that describe this. One, from all the places they were scattered on a cloudy and dark day. Two, from the peoples. And three, from the countries. Where were the eggs? Where, where was Israel? Where were they? Where were his people when this message was being spoken to them? 
they were in exile. They were in Babylonia. And there were others scattered as a result of the first attack on the northern kingdom, and Assyria took them and scattered people. So they could have been further and places beyond Babylonia by this time. They probably were. To what place will the Lord bring his flock? The short answer is to their own land. From Ezekiel 34, 13. To their own land, on the mountains of Israel, in the valleys, and all the inhabited places of the country. But make sure they do get that phrase, their own land. Why is it their own land? Because God gave it to them. And now for the really good, exciting stuff to see that the Lord is going to do for Israel after he brings them back to their land. We have a lot of things described in chapter 34, and I have filled in, um, and I am going to give you from the verses my notes. Um, I started doing this, and I stopped, and I need to go back, but I have my verse number, and circling it will help it stand out. (laughs) So, Okay, from verse 13, the Lord's going to bring them into their own land. 14, feed them with good pasture. They'll lie down in good grazing lands. 15, the Lord will be the shepherd of his sheep. 16, the Lord seeks the lost, brings back the strayed. He binds up the injured. He strengthens the weak. He destroys the fat and strong and feeds the good ones in justice. 17, the Lord judges between the sheep and sheep and rams and male goats. From verse 22, the Lord rescues his flock. 23, the Lord will set up one shepherd, my servant David. He will feed them. I'll mention, I'm going to talk about that in a minute. Verse 24, the Lord will be their God. David will be prince among them. Verse 25, the Lord made will make a covenant of peace, banish wild beasts. The people will dwell securely. I will mention an idea about that covenant of peace right now. Um Another covenant of peace will be mentioned again in Ezekiel, but right here, I'm not sure, but I wondered if this is because it says covenant of peace and banish wild beasts. Is this peace among the animals when the lion lays down with the lamb and that's why there won't be wild beasts attacking and people will be safe? I don't know. Maybe. I, I will look into it. But that crossed my mind. Uh, verse 26. All the places around what the Lord calls my hill, his hill. So his mountain, Mount Zion. All the places around my hill will be a blessing and there will be showers of blessings. Verse 27. The trees will yield fruit. The earth will yield increase. Everyone will be secure in the land. Verse 28. Israel will no more be a prey to nations or beasts. They will dwell securely. They will have no fear. Verse 29, the Lord will provide renowned plantations. I might have been looking at the ESV with this. I know I was. uh, I'm pretty sure I was. Um, That word plantation surprised me. Uh, There will be no more hunger, no reproach, I think. 
And verse 30, they shall know that I am the Lord, their God. With them they will be my people, and I will be their God. It's like he is saying this good thing, good, 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 good. And it just gets better and better and better until the big grand finale of these uh, plans. They shall know that I am the Lord, their God. With them they will be my people, and I will be their God. All right. Um, in the italicized paragraph, I have highlighted, there were a few short verses prior to this chapter that hinted at hope for Israel, but now the rest of the book will expound on those promises. The Lord paints a rainbow of hope in the skies that have been dark and cloudy with judgment. The Lord, and then down at the um, bottom italicized paragraph, the Lord promised to deliver his people from their captivity to make them dwell safely in their own land, to establish one shepherd among them, and he promised that they would be his people and he would be with them and be their God. All right, I'm going to mention this about uh, one shepherd, my servant David. I have been looking into this and um, I have... Um, in my early studies... My understanding was that this was referring to Jesus. So this is a messianic promise. Um, Ezekiel 34, 23, and 24. I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David. He will be their shepherd. My, I'll be their God. My servant David shall be prince among them. And um, so I have read lots of people believe this is a, a messianic reference to Jesus being king in the line of David. And this is just, he's being called David. But I have also seen and read the, and lots of, uh, not lots. I, mean, I don't, I don't know how many are voting for Jesus and how many are voting for David, but this could be resurrected David. And that makes sense to me. And I think I'm leaning that way, but the verdict's still out. When we get into the last chapters where the temple is described, there will be a prince mentioned, and there are some details about the prince mentioned then, like he has children. So, um, but how does a resurrected David have children? Uh, there are <laughs> things that are going to be confusing to us. So, um, I have... I checked out what my uh, professor Arnold Fruchtenbaum says. He votes, doesn't vote. He explains why it is resurrected David. I have read others. They explain why it's Jesus. I've read another who explains both sides and then brings the conclusion it will either be Jesus or resurrected David. So that's where we will have to settle right now that even this uh, <clears throat> learned scholar who's researched it and has uh, defended, explained both sides, did not come to a conclusion. Good news is we know Jesus is coming back. He is going to reign over the whole world. He will reign over Israel. And we know during the millennial kingdom that Old Testament saints will be resurrected. So everybody's going to be there. And we will see the answer and how God works it all out and maybe we'll get an understanding even before then okay y'all can have some fun with that if you want to
at the top of page 191. Ask this question. This is another fun question. What do you think is the best part of all that the Lord promises to Israel and why? They're not going to have a wrong answer. Um, the Sunday school answer they may say is they will know that God is their Lord, their God, and they his people, and he's in their midst. And that does seem to be the greatest thing. Um, it shows relationship. Uh, and I, this, that's what I put. And I put everything else is icing on the cake. Um, it all goes together. When you know the Lord, you know his blessings. So, um, as you can see, I ended with a verse about our hope and that we, believers right now, will know the hope of God's calling and the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and his exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe. We have that right now. Okay. Going to the next lesson, we have some words, some prophecies to the mountains in the middle of the italicized paragraph. Judgment described here in Ezekiel 35 is one of the evidences that the Lord gives Israel that he's going to prepare a place for them to dwell safely. Um, just go ahead to the first questions. Who is the son of man to prophesy against according to Ezekiel 35 two? against Mount Seir? If they don't know that that is in Edom, um, biblical Edom, that's where it is. Today, this is in South Jordan. Um, and if you're looking at a map and thinking about Israel, Mount Seir is is to the west and further south than the area of the Dead Sea. But it's not south of the Dead Sea. It's south and west of the Dead Sea. For those who like to know that kind of thing. Who is Ezekiel to prophesy to in 36.1? The mountains of Israel. Mountains are all over Israel. All right, now, according to Ezekiel 35.1 through 36.15, which you were supposed to read that chunk, what are the reasons given in Ezekiel 35 for the judgment to come to Mount Seir? There are some here. Verse 5, and again, this is from the ESV. Because you cherished perpetual enmity and gave over the people of Israel to the power of the sword at the time of their calamity. Verse 10, because you said these two nations and two countries will be mine. I don't know if that means northern kingdom, southern kingdom, or if that means um, Edom's going to be mine and I'm going to take Israel also. But anyway, it definitely means they are going to take Israel to be theirs. They wanted Israel. Verse 11, um, they had anger and envy and hatred towards Israel, the people of Mount Seir and Edom. Verse 12, there were revilings uttered against the mountains of Israel. And verse 13, Mount Seir, Edom, magnified themselves against the Lord, and they multiplied words against the Lord. Wow. So they are against Israel and against the Lord. Turn the page. 192. 
you were to look back, what did you learn about Edom when you, we studied Ezekiel 25, 12 through 14? So they were supposed to make some notes about this. I said the Lord's hand would be stretched out and he would cut off man and beast. The territory would be desolate and vengeance in Edom would come by the hand of Israel. What do you learn about Edom from Genesis 36, 6 through 8 and Joshua 24, 4? From Genesis, it says Esau took all of his family, his flocks, livestock, and went away from his brother Jacob and went to Mount Seir. And that's where it says Mount Seir, Esau, Esau is Edom. So that's where this, uh, where we learn more about it. And the names. There was too much. Um, Jacob had so much livestock. God had multiplied his flocks. Esau had so much livestock. They could not all be in the same territory. So Jacob, as the one to whom the covenant was made, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, he was in Israel and Esau went out of Israel to the west, to Mount Seir with all of his flocks. And then in Joshua, we read that God gave Mount, the mountains of Seir and the Edom area to Esau. Okay, then we have a little more history behind the hatred of Edom toward Israel. And this really happened when Moses wanted to go through Edom, Edom to the promised land. What happened? What is a summary? Moses wanted to pass through and the king of Edom said no. And he stood up his people and strong men and wouldn't let them go through. <laughs> More detail. Moses sent a message to the king of Edom. And I just, it struck me, this is 400 years after Jacob and Esau had split. Because Jacob's son, Joseph, was, and the people of Israel were in Egypt for 400 years. And then Moses led them out. So 400 years later, the Edomites were still thinking, we don't like the descendants of Jacob. They knew who Israel was. But Moses said, we're on your border. Let us pass through. We won't go through your vineyards or uh, drink from your wells. And Edom said, no way. Edom came out against Israel with many men and a strong hand and did not give them passage. So that's when they were really bad. In the italicized paragraph, the Lord chose Israel over every other nation. But in choosing Israel, he demonstrated the character of his faithful love even when they were unfaithful. That's a transition statement to the next question. Is the book of Ezekiel about Israel or about the Lord? Please explain your answer. I said, it's about the Lord. And he shows who he is through his behavior with his people, Israel. Um, they might say it's about the Lord and Israel. They could say it's about Israel and how the Lord um, deals with them. It's okay. They just, um, just wanted them to think about it. And then I did give a 
bit of a summary that the Lord wants us to know him. So that's what it's all about, knowing the Lord. In the next italicized paragraph that begins with the Israelites, and I added a little note, the Israelites who were judged and in exile were now in a position to be humbled and to be in awe of what the Lord was going to do on their behalf. Despite their stiff-necked, hard-hearted rebelliousness toward the Lord throughout their years as a nation, the Lord did not break his covenant with them. Read Ezekiel 36. Again, make notes of what you learned below. Reasons for judgment against Edom. Because we haven't quite noted these yet. The enemy, which is Edom, said, Aha! The ancient heights are our possession. And um, Edom made Israel desolate and crushed them from all sides. And Edom gave God's land to themselves with joy and contempt. And God's hot jealousy burned against Edom. I need to tell y'all something else about Edom. That once you hear it, if you want to say this earlier in your discussion, it might fit better. Um, unless you just want to pause right here. But these prophecies in Ezekiel back in chapter 25 and now here in Ezekiel 35 have some language that should make us look ahead to the future and um, some verse 5. Is it, um, chapter 35, verse 5, ESV says about Edom, because you cherished perpetual enmity and gave over the people of Israel to the power of the sword at the time of their calamity, at the time of their final punishment. Therefore, as I live, declares the Lord God, I will prepare you for blood. Blood shall pursue you. Um, I will make, in verse 7, I will make Mount Seir a waste and a desolation. I'll fill his mountains with the slain. slain. Okay. At the time of their final punishment, there is something there that, does that refer to what has just happened to Israel? Or does that refer to the future great tribulation for Israel, which will be their final discipline where punishment discipline that God uses to turn Israel to him? And there's another phrase in here. Ah, uh, chapter 35, verse 14. Thus says the Lord God, while the whole earth rejoices... I will make you desolate. And that's really a key phrase. What is going to make the whole earth rejoice? Uh, when King Jesus is on the throne and he's blessing the earth and those who know him. And this is the time of the millennial kingdom. So that one really sends us to the uh, future 1,000-year reign of Jesus, and Edom will be a desolate place. Obadiah refers to it, and Jeremiah refers to it. Um, so, 
will be a um, Edom is based on my understanding when the whole earth is rejoicing and the whole earth is under Jesus reign and the whole earth is beautiful and prosperous there are two places of desolation one is Edom and one is Babylon and Dr. Fruchtenbaum explains these things. I have, I mean, it's easy. I have his book. It's so easy to see in his book. I, I'm sure he's not the only one who explains it. It's just right now, he's the one, he's the resource that I have. But obviously, God said this through Ezekiel. So it's not just Fruchtenbaum <laughs> saying this. And he said it not just to Ezekiel, he said it to Jeremiah and to Obadiah regarding Edom and the desolation of Edom. So I wanted to mention that. That's judgment against Edom. And there will be, now back on page 192, there will be blessings on Israel. What are they? God will judge the enemy nations. So they will not be a problem. And then in verse 8, it says that the land will yield fruit. The people will come home. In verse 9, it says that God is for the mountains. They will be tilled and sown, which means they're not desolate and they're not barren. In verse 10, God is going to multiply the people. Cities will be inhabited. Waste places will be rebuilt. Man and animal will multiply and be fruitful. This is where the phrase is, there will be more good than ever before. 36.11 And they will no longer be bereaved of their children. That makes me think that for those who were sacrificing their children, they won't be doing that. They will have their children. For those who could not have children, they will have children. For those whose children were killed, slaughtered by enemies and sword and all of the pain that the um, Israelites have experienced as they lost their children, that won't happen anymore. There will be peace. And there will be no more reproach from nations against Israel. Israel will bless the world. Leaders at the top of age 193, um, you might want to just say this because it's the, the main point is that I wanted to emphasize. <laughs> In Ezekiel 36, 8, what does the Lord say regarding the return of his people? He says, they will soon come home. They're coming home soon. This is the Lord's timing. Um, And you can see what my reaction to that phrase was. The exiles in Babylon should have been excited by these words. And this prophecy was partially fulfilled when the exiles were led back to Israel by Zerubbabel under the edict of Cyrus, king of Persia. But the rest of the prophecy seen in this chapter has not yet been fulfilled. Um, And one way to emphasize that was by highlighting the specific promises given in Ezekiel 36, 15. I will not let you hear anymore the reproach of nations. You'll no longer bear the disgrace of the peoples. No longer cause your nation to stumble. Well, these things all still happened when Israel went back. So, um, there's prophecy that has been fulfilled and there are promises that we are waiting to see be fulfilled. If you have time, 
the paragraph in italics about the prophecy being described as a series of mountain ranges is something you might mention just to see if ladies understand what we're talking about here. Um, prophecy is like mountain ranges and you can look out in the distance and you see lots of mountains but the distance between the mountains is hard to calculate. You can't see the valleys and we should look at prophecy that way. And then the last phrase, prophecy often describes the great crest of the mountains, but does not offer comments on the timing or events that occur in between those mountain peaks. So we need to keep that in mind. And um, that's, we just end this one chapter by saying we are looking ahead with what Ezekiel described, the future day, the land will be healed. And this has begun with the founding of the nation in 1948. But, oh, I love the last thing Wearsby says. It's nothing compared to what the Lord will do when his people are gathered back to their land from the nations of the world. I read or saw a video about Israel right now and just the the fruit, the produce of the land, and how great it is. And I think they said that there's an avocado the size of a grapefruit. Okay, that's like one massive avocado. The land is producing beautifully and wonderfully now, but it's going to be even better because the best is yet to come. So hopefully you end your discussion on a high note, even though we've got a couple of things that are um, making us wonder what the this word of the Lord means. Question about whether it's Jesus or David on the throne. I want to say this. If it's Jesus, I'm sorry. If David's resurrected, then he is serving as a, what some call vice regent. He is the under shepherd to the chief shepherd, Jesus. And Jesus is king. So um, just if that comes up, that's the idea there. All right. Well, I hope you have fun with your discussion. It's very, this, this is the good stuff and getting really interesting. And we will continue to have questions and things we don't know. We will, But we'll see the answer one day. And that's what is just wonderful to know and to hope in. We have a good God. Thank you for your leadership. That's all.